Welcome to Principles of Liberty Podcast number 13. And uh, we're continuing on with the Pennsylvania Minority Report. I hope to finish it. Um, the We continue on with the reasons our founding fathers had for not signing the Constitution. Um, and I think it's very interesting. So we'll keep reading wherever we left off. Not to enlarge upon the loss of the in- invaluable right of trial by by an unbiased jury, so dear to every friend of liberty, the monstrous expense and inconvenience, inconveniences of the mode of proceedings to be adopted are such as will prove intolerable to the people of this country. The lengthy proceedings of the civil law courts in the Chancery of England and in the courts of Scotland and France are such that few men of moderate fortune can endure the experience expense of. The poor man must therefore submit to the wealthy. Length of purse will too often prevail against right and justice. For instance, we are told by the learned judge Blackstone that a question only on the property of an ox of the value of three guineas originating under the civil law proceedings in Scotland after many interlocutory orders and sentences below was carried at length from the court of sessions the highest court in the part of that part of Great Britain, by way of appeal to the House of Lords, where the question of law and fact was finally determined. He adds that no peak or spirit could, in the court of King's Bench or Common Pleas at Westminster, have given continuance to such a cause for a tenth part of the time, nor have cost a twentieth part of the expense. Yet the costs in the courts of King's Bench and Common Pleas in England are infinitely greater than those which the people of this country have ever experienced. We abhor the idea of losing the transcendent privilege of trial by jury, with the loss of which it is remarked by the same learned author that in Sweden the liberties of the commons are extinguished by an aristocratic senate, and that trial by jury and the liberty of the people went out together. At the same time, we regret the intolerable delay, the enormous expense, and the infinite vexation to which a people of this country will be exposed from the voluminous proceedings of the courts of civil law, and especially from the appellate jurisdiction by means of which man may be drawn from the utmost boundaries of his extensive country to the seat of the Supreme Court of the nation to contend, perhaps with a wealthy and powerful adversary. The consequence of this establishment will be an absolute confirmation of the power of aristocratical influence in the courts of justice, for the common people will not be able to contend or struggle against it. So that's a pretty long paragraph to basically say that using civil law the way England does is just going to cost so much that the common man will have no, no real remedy. And we kind of see this happening today. I'll continue on with the next huge paragraph. Trial by jury in criminal cases may also be excluded by declaring that the libeler, for instance, shall be liable to an action of debt for a specified sum, thus evading the common law prosecution by indictment and trial by jury. And the common course of proceeding against a a ship for breach of revenue laws by information, which will be classed among civil cases, will at the civil law be within the resort of a court where no jury intervenes. Besides the benefit of jury trial, in cases of a criminal nature which cannot be evaded, will be rendered of little value by calling the 
the accused to answer far from home, there being no provision that the trial be by a jury of the neighborhood or county or country. Thus, the inhabitant of Pittsburgh, on a charge of crime committed in the banks of the Ohio, may be obliged to defend himself at the side of the Delaware, and so vice versa. To conclude this head, we observe that the judges of the courts of Congress would be not be independent, as they are not debarred from holding other offices during the pleasure of the President and Senate, and as they may derive their support in part from fees alterable by the legislature. And what he's saying there, uh, in the last part there, is that the judges are not really unbiased. And in fact, uh, when I was uh, defending myself in a simple traffic court case, uh, we had a case where I found out that uh, in the court rules there was some kind of added fee to the penalty that you'd pay if you lost a case, and that added fee ended up going into the judge's pension. So uh, basically, it was in his interest to convict you. Um, he was not impartial. And that's what they're saying here, is that uh, this ends up happening. He also talks about having, lacking a trial by jury. Um, a jury trial is meant to be done by the local people. So if you're a guy with a reputation that is not good, the jury that's going to judge you should know that reputation. Um, it's there's you'll hear cases especially in like uh, cases where they want an impartial jury and so you can't know the guy or can't know anything about the subject that that uh, this crime involves that's that's baloney that's actually backward from what the founding fathers wanted a jury that's local that kind of knows you that knows the area knows the territory knows what people are like is more apt to render a just verdict um, and um, civil law tends to avoid juries. Now, this is, the difference between civil law and common law was something very important here that is not brought out real well in this letter that I can see. And I did some study on the web on this, um, and it's really, there is no short, you know, concise way to describe the difference between common law and civil law. Every Everything I found that compares the two on the web is just paragraphs and paragraphs of history and precedent. But the basic gist of it I could figure is that common law is based on common practices, common sense, and juries. And common law um, doesn't change much over time. Like a king can change, the, the administration can change, common law kind of stays the same because it's all based on precedent. It's based on the way things were always done. And uh, whereas um, civil law is more derived from the law of Rome and it turns out the law of kings where um, the king makes the civil law and then changes it over time and then the uh, the civil law is a little more free from precedent. It's allowed to change with the whims of the king or the administration. And so that was the chief difference I could tell from reading in the web. So their big point is um, we don't want the king or the ju or the administration to be in control of the law and pervert it over time. We want the common law that's stable and based on common practices. Next paragraph. The next consideration that the Constitution presents is the undue and dangerous mixture of the powers of government, the same body possessing legislative, executive, and judicial powers. The Senate 
is a constituent branch of the legislature. It has judicial power in judging on impeachments. And in the case of um, unities, in some measure, the characters of judge and party, as all the principal officers are appointed by the President General with the concurrence of the Senate, and therefore they, de they derive their officers, offices in part from the Senate. This may bias the judgments of the Senators and tend to to screen great delinquents from punishment. And the Senate has, moreover, various and great extensive powers. Visualize in concurrence with the President General, they form treaties with foreign nations and may control and abrogate the constitutions and laws of several states. Indeed, there is no power, privilege, or liberty of the state governments or the people but that may be aff affected by virtue of this power, the treaty-making power. All, for all treaties made by them are to be the supreme law of the land, any, anything in the Constitution or laws of any state to the contrary notwithstanding. In other words, they don't like this power in the hands of the Senate. The Senate's got this ability to make a treaty and override the Constitutions, and nobody else has any input. And this great power may be exercised by the President and ten Senators, being two-thirds of fourteen, which is a quorum of that body. What an, what an inducement would this offer to the ministers of foreign powers to compass by bribery such concessions as could not otherwise be obtained? It is the unvaried usage of all free states whenever treaties interfere with the positive laws of the land to make the intervention of the legislature necessary to give them operation. This became necessary and was afforded by the Parliament of Great Britain. In consequence of the late commercial treaty between the Kingdom of France as the Senate judges on impeachments, who is to try the members of the Senate for the abuse of this power? Very interesting. Senate presides over impeachments? How do you impeach the Senate? And none of the great appointments to office can be made without the consent of the Senate. So once again, the Senate's pretty powerful. And, uh, yeah. He's got some good points here. Such various extensive and important powers combined in one body of men are inconsistent with all freedom, and celebrated and the celebrated Montesquieu tells us that when the legislative and executive powers are united in the same person or in the same body of, of magistrates, there can be no liberty because apprehensions may arise lest the same monarch or senate should enact tyrannical laws to execute them in a tyrannical manner. Again, there is no liberty if the power of judging be not separated from the legislative and executive powers. Were it joined with the legislative, the life and liberty of the subject would be exposed to arbitrary control, for the judge would then be the legislator. Were it joined to the executive power, the judge might behave with all the violence of an oppressor. There would be an end of everything with the same man or the same body of the noble of the nobles or of the people to exercise those three powers that of enacting laws that of executing the public resolutions and that of judging the crimes or differences of individuals so he's saying if you ever join the legislative judicial and executive powers any two of those into one body you got problems and he's saying that this constitution doesn't adequately separate those powers he goes on, the President General is dangerously connected with the Senate. His, con his coincidence with the views of the ruling junto in that body is made essential to his weight and importance in the government, which will destroy all independency and purity of the executive department. And having the power of pardoning without the 
concurrence of the council, he may screen from punishment the most treasonable attempts that may be made on the liberties of the people, when instigated by his co-judicators in the Senate. Instead of this dangerous and improper mixture of executive with legislative and judicial, the supreme executive powers ought to have been placed in the president with a small independent council made personally responsible for every appointment to office or other act by having their opinions recorded, and that without the concurrence of the majority of the quorum of this council, the president should not be capable of taking any step. So, this uh, pardoning power is actually one that George Bush and Clinton uh, have made extensive use of, and they've they're pardoning their buddies after the, before they get out of office. This is what every executive is doing now. Uh, every president, at the end of his term, ends up doing a bunch of pardons, uh, makes friends with all his buddies, his enemies, and so he's set uh, set when he gets out, and uh, it's out of his office. And uh, so that the, it's very right here. The, these steps, like pardoning, like um, making treaties, like um, any anything the executive might do, should be checked by a council that um, that's separate from the legislature. They're saying they're emphasizing the power of direct taxation will further apply to every individual as Congress may tax land, cattle, trades, occupations, etc. in any amount, and every object of internal taxation is that is of that nature, that however oppressive the people will have, but this alternative, except to pay the tax or let their property be taken. For all resistance will be in vain. The standing army and select militia would enforce the collection. And this that's another great point. And I was thinking about these objections about taxes because the federal government, the Congress has the right to tax, and there's really no limit on the amount of taxes um, or the different modes of taxation. And because there's no limit on them, they're right. And I, I thought about this. What if the federal government, for instance, had a limitation that they could only tax, say, 15 20%? There was just something within the Constitution. There's no more than 20% of the GDP can be taxed by the federal government in any year, period. You know, that's interesting. With a, with a, with a limit like that, um, they, well, they, they can't go above that. If they go above that, then, that, sorry, you don't have to pay it. Nobody has to pay more than 20% of whatever tax. You know, if, if they increase that, it stops them. And it, and it makes them think about spending it makes them uh, limited in how much they can they can impose on us, whether slowly raising taxes or quickly. Um, it's a good thing to have in there, and we don't have a limit, and that's a good objection by the minority. We go on to the next paragraph. For the moderate exercise of this power, there is no control left in the state governments whose intervention is destroyed. No relief or redress of grievances can be extended as heretofore by them. There is not even a declaration of rights to which the people may appeal for the vindication of the wrongs in the court of justice. They must therefore implicitly obey the most arbitrary laws as the worst of them will be will be pursuant to the principles and form of the Constitution and that and that strongest of all checks upon the conduct of administration, responsibility to the people will not exist in this government. The permanency of the appointments of senators and representatives and the control of Congress have over their election will place them independent 
of the sentiments and, re and resentment of the people and the administration having a greater interest in the government than in the community, there will be no consideration to restrain them from oppression and tyranny. In the government of this state, under the old confederation, the members of the legislature are taken from among the people and their interests and welfare are so inseparably connected with those of their constituents that they can derive no advantage from oppressive laws and taxes, for they would suffer in common with their fellow citizens, would participate in the burdens they impose on the community, and they must return to the common level after a short period, and notwithstanding every exertion of influence, every means of corruption, a necessary rotation excludes them from permanency in the legislature. And, um, you know, you'd think that with term limits and the way the way our representatives are cycled through that that would be enough and he's saying no that's really not enough and we see that's not enough when we look at the fact that our congress for instance um, when you go into congress if you get elected one of the first things you can opt into is to remove yourself from the social security system and add yourself to congress's pension system and almost i don't know of any congressman that has refused to do this once they do that, they have removed themselves from the situation of the people. They can rob the Social Security Fund all they want and destroy the system, which it is falling apart now, and they themselves don't suffer for the consequence of it. They have separated themselves from the people they represent by allowing themselves to get a pension system that is not in the Social Security system. And you ask any congressman, you know, who's been in there, ask them, you know, what's what is your Social Security? What's your pension system? And how is that different from Social Security? It's entirely different. It's a way better deal. And they can wreck the Social Security system all they want, and they themselves will not suffer a bit. So that's proof that this assertion that they'll separate themselves from the constituents and not have them at their, at their best interest is exactly correct. Um, he goes on, this large state is to have but 10 members in that Congress, which is to have the liberty, property, and dearest concern of every individual in this vast country at absolute command, and even these 10 persons who are to be our only guardians, who are to supersede the legislature of Pennsylvania, will not be of the choice of the people or amenable to them. From the mode of their election and appointment, they will consist of the lordly and high-minded, of men who will have no congenial feelings with the people. But a perfect indifference for and contempt of them, they will consist of those harpies of power that prey upon the very vitals, that riot on the miseries of the community. But we will suppose, although in, in all probability it may never be realized in fact, that our deputies in Congress have the welfare of their constituents at heart and will exert themselves in the, on their behalf, what security could, could even this afford? What relief could they extend? to their oppressed constituents. To attain this, the majority of the deputies of the 12 other states in Congress must be alike well disposed, must alike forego the sweets of power, and relinquish the pursuits of ambition, which, from the nature of things, it is not to be expected. If the people part with a responsible representation in a legislature founded upon fair, certain, and frequent elections, they have nothing left they can call their own. Miserable is the lot of that people whose every concern depends on the will and pleasure of their rulers. Our soldiers will become janissaries and our officers of government bashaws in short the system of despotism will soon be completed now i don't think it, it decayed as fast as they expected because we did get the bill of rights passed but um they're pointing out here that um, um 
there's you know, in that case only 10 members the Senate you know with 13 states only had 26 senators and um, I guess like uh, 14 of them was a quorum so and 10 is the majority of the of the quorum so or two-thirds so 10 guys can be bribed and and turn the whole country around and he's saying you know uh, what are the odds of getting of not having 10 of those number corrupted um, they're they're not really their interests are not totally aligned with the people and so he's predicting despotism um, from the foregoing investigation it appears that the Congress under this Constitution will not possess the confidence of the people, which is an essential requisite for good government. For unless the laws command the confidence and respect of a great body of people, so as to induce them to support them, when called on by the civil magistrate, they must be executed by the aid of a numerous stand and standing army, which would be inconsistent with the I very idea of liberty, and the same force that may be employed to compel obedience to good laws might probably and probably would be used to wrest from the people their constitutional liberties. The framers of this constitution appear to have been aware of this great deficiency, to have been sensible that no dependence could be placed on the people for their support, but to the contrary, on the contrary, that the government must be executed by force. They have therefore made a provision for this purpose in a permanent standing army and a militia that may be subjected to as strict discipline and government. A standing army in the hands of a government placed so independent of the people may be made a fatal instrument to overrun the public liberties. It may be employed to enforce the collection of the most oppressive taxes and to carry in, into execution the most arbitrary measures. An ambitious man who may have the army at his devotion may step up into the throne and seize absolute power. The absolute unqualified command that Congress have over the militia may be made instrumental to the destruction of all liberty both public and private whether of a personal civil or religious nature you got that so the militia they're saying is eventually going to be used by an oppressive government to take your own property because congress has the right to regulate it interesting and um, First, the personal liberty of every man probably from 16 to 60 years of age may be destroyed by the power of congress have uh, by the power Congress have in organizing and governing the militia. As militia, they may be subjected to fines to any amount levied in, in, in a military manner. They may be subject to corporal punishments of the most disgraceful and humiliating kind, and to death itself by sentence of a court-martial. To this, our young men will be m more immediately subjected, as a select militia composed of them will best answer the purposes of government. So, they'll have, you know, they can strictly control them um, they can punish them and force them to do the will of the government even sacking the homes of their own neighbors secondly the rights of conscience may be violated as there is no exception uh, exemption of those persons who are conscientiously scrupulous of bearing arms these compose of a respectable portion of the community in the state this is the, the more remarkable because even when the distresses of the late war and the evident disaffection of many citizens of that description inflamed our passions and when every person who was obliged to risk his own life must have been exasperated against such as on any account kept back from the common danger yet even then when outrage and violence have might have been expected the rights of conscience were held sacred in other words in the revolutionary war 
if you didn't want to fight for religious reasons, that was held that was respected in the Revolutionary War. Not necessarily under militia governed by Congress. Thirdly, the absolute command of Congress over the militia may be destructive of public liberty, for under the guidance of an arbitrary government, they may be made the unwilling instruments of tyranny. The militia of Pennsylvania may be marched to New England or Virginia to quell the insurrection occasioned by the most galling oppression and aided by the standing army. They will no doubt be successful in subduing their liberty and independency, but in so doing, although the magnanimity of their minds will be extinguished, yet the meaner passions of resentment and revenge will be increased, and these in turn will be the ready and obedient instruments of despotism to enslave the others and that with an irritated vengeance. <clears throat> In other words, you, you march A on B, B gets ticked off, then you take B's soldier and march on one A, and you get, you get everybody fighting each other, and the government, that's the real problem, um, is not the focus of the anger. Thus may the militia be made the instruments of crushing the last efforts of expiring liberty, of riveting the chains of this despotism on their fellow citizens and on one another. This power can be exercised not only without violating the Constitution, but in strict conformity with it. It is calculated for this express purpose and will doubtless be executed accordingly. So they think it's planned. Giving the con Congress control of the militia was a way to use the militia against its own people to destroy liberty. As this government will not enjoy the, c the confidence of the people, but be executed by force, it will be very expressive and um, burdensome government. <coughs> the standing army must be numerous, and as, as a further support, it will be the policy of this government to multiply officers in every department, judges, collectors, tax gatherers, exercisemen, and the whole host of revenue officers will swarm over the land, devouring the land earnings, the hard earnings of the industrious, like the locusts of old, impoverishing and desolating all before them, and we've seen this been happening. We have not noticed the smaller, nor many of the considerable blemishes, but have confined our objections to the great and essential defects, the main pillars of the Constitution, which we have shown to be inconsistent with liberty and happiness of the people, as is established as its establishment will annihilate the state governments and produce one consolidated government that will eventually and speedily issue in the supremacy of despotism. In this investigation, we have not confined our views to the interests uh, or welfare of the state in preference to the others. We have overlooked all local circumstances. We have considered the subject on the broad scale of the general good. We have asserted the cause of the present and future ages and cause of liberty in mankind. And that finishes the Minority Report. And what an incredible, incredible, almost a prophecy, the way that works, um, the way they predict out. Because... Um, over time, if you've been watching, you know government has steadily been growing. It doesn't seem to matter if there's a Republican or a Democrat in in, uh, in power. It doesn't seem to matter if we're at war or at peace. Uh, we constantly have the government growing in power. The judicial grows in power. The Congress grows in power. The executive especially has been growing in power lately. Um, and we could go into executive orders and uh, a lot more stuff, and maybe we'll get into that stuff. Um, I'm not here to depress you and bore you to death with ancient documents and reading them. I felt it was good to read it because I wanted you to hear the very words of our founding fathers, the ones that objected to it. And note that in school, it's interesting, you know, we're taught by government schools, and I was raised in public schools in the 1960s, 70s, and uh, 
what we were taught was, you know, Constitution was great and freedom and liberty for all. We pledged allegiance to the flag. But we were not told much about the system of confederation, the Articles of Confederation. I've never read. I've never seen it. I should get a copy somewhere and read it. It'd be interesting to see what that said and com- contrast it with the Constitution. We're never taught that in school. I don't think even in college very much. Our people get, unless they're into that era and looking for that specific thing, we're not taught the difference. Um, we, we think about the president, the first president being George Washington, but there were, I think, 16 presidents prior to George Washington. We never hear about them. And they're the ones that carried us through the Revolutionary War as presidents um, of the Articles of Confederation. The Confederation. And, of course, we haven't studied, um, and we, we rarely study the state constitutions. Um, I think that's very instructive. I think the 13 original colonies uh, constitutions are probably pretty instructive and the comparison of those. I mean, at the time when, when our government was being formed and this country was, was young, there were all kinds of attempts to try and create republics um, all over the world to try and preserve democracy or to preserve freedom, I mean, not democracy, but to, um, to extend the freedom and happiness of mankind. And, uh, you know, that's the way uh, it was developed back then. People thought very deeply about how things were structured because they wanted it to last. Um, today, we're more worried about what color shoes we're wearing. So, thought there for now. Uh, catch you next time. Bye.